We are in a series um, <clears throat> looking at the book of James, and uh, what we discovered about James is that he was an early uh, leader in the early church. He oversaw the Jerusalem church. He was the half-brother of, of Jesus and grew up with Jesus. And, and what I love about that whole story is that James actually came a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. And can you imagine uh, this news and James following his brother? Like, it's the same guy I played t-ball with and everything else. Um, it's amazing. It just shows to me the authenticity of Jesus' divinity, that he was God that James was a follower of Jesus as Lord and God and that he is God and gave his life. Much of church tradition tells us that James was a martyr uh, for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And James's book is probably one of the most practical books in the New Testament. It basically tells us how to put feet to our faith. It tells us how to actually live out our faith. And what we're going to see in James chapter 2 is James, he's just, you know, if you you read through the book of James, James is just blunt. He just gets right to the point. And what he's going to do for us here as we read in chapter 2, he's going to talk about deeds accompanying our faith. That there has to be something in our life that shows that our lives have been transformed by the power of the gospel message. And what he's going to do is he's going to encourage the church to say, listen, don't, just don't say you believe it. It needs to be seen in the way you live it. Boy, that, that sounded good. I think that even rhymes. That sounded good. And what we've discovered, the overarching theme that we discovered is authentic faith lives out what we believe about Jesus, plain and simple. So in this section of James' letter, he stresses the importance of what you do for Christ should match what you believe about him. So let's jump into God's word this morning. If you've got your Bibles or you can look up at the screens or your devices, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Listen to what James says here. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can this type of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you, do, but, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. The Greek translation is there is goody, goody gumdrops for you. Okay? That, that's really the heart of James right there. He goes, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so what happened, just as scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, 
We are shown to be right with God by what we do, not faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the, just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. This is the word of the Lord. And everyone said, amen. Amen to God's word. So what James does here, James tells us that our faith in Christ should have feet. There should be action to our faith. It should be seen in the way we live our lives. And so what James says is, what good is it? What good is it if you believe something, but it's not shown in your actions? What good is it if, if someone claims to believe in Christ and does nothing to prove it or to justify it? It would be the same as a, as a CEO of an airline company who says, you need to fly our airline. It is the best. It is the best. And then that same CEO refuses to fly their own airline that they're in charge of. That'd be hypocritical, wouldn't it? See, the, the CEO claims are not reflective of what they really believe. And so James is making the same point. James is making the same point. So what's the problem here? What's the problem? What is actually lived out is different than what is claimed. What is lived out is different than what is claimed. One, he says, what one says and believes is not followed up with actions. Here's the problem with this verse. This, this verse is, is controversial when you look at it, in a way, if you understand scripture about faith. Because you're saying, wait a minute, pastor, time out, flag on the play. I thought that we're saved by faith alone and not works. Because we're a Protestant church. Isn't that the whole Reformation? Isn't that, isn't that what that's all about? Wait a minute. Flag on the play. What, what, what's going on here? Because at first glance, we would think that this is kind of works with faith so that we can be saved. But I, but I want you to see something here. At first glance, this seems to be confusing with what the apostle Paul says about faith. Is James say, saying that our works save us? Is that what he's saying? Because Paul tells, wait a minute, pastor, I know the scripture. I know it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Paul says that we are saved by grace through faith, not our works. These guys aren't on the same page. This is a contradiction. Does this shatter our belief? Should we just close the doors of our church right now and all go home? No, not at all. What James is doing here, if you understand the passage here and understand the context of who he's writing to, he's telling people, start living out your faith. Start living it out. That, that's the context. And so what he's saying here is he's giving us a different perspective of what it truly means to have faith in action. Now, you need two eyes to give you a proper depth perception. Each eye sees slightly, has a slightly different perspective so you can see better. Now, I have terrible depth perception. Here's why I know. I played church softball three years ago, and I was okay. No, I was terrible. I... I, I both quads, both hamstrings, pulled them. Miserable summer for me. I should have never done it. I played softball when I was in my 30s. Should have never done it in my 50s. Huge mistake. So where they stuck me was out in right field. Everybody knows the best players play in right field. Why are you laughing? That's what they told me. Pastor Barton, we got a perfect place for you. Way out there. And don't worry about it. The ball will never come to you. 
that's right. All the teams we played were left-handed batters. The ball always came to me. And I'm out there. I've never played it. When I played softball, I played third base. So I'm out there, and I, I'm seeing the ball come to me. I go, is it going to be 10 feet before me? Or is it 10 feet? You know, you ever see that person backpedaling, backpedaling, they're like, and it's like 20 feet over me. I had terrible depth perception. I didn't know if the ball was 20 feet in front of me, 20 feet. So finally, I just said, can I just bat? Can, can you just take me? Because I'm, I'm absolutely horrible. And see, this is what James is saying. James is telling us, he's giving us a different perspective here. James and Paul knew each other. And so what we know from Scripture is this. In Acts 15, there was this thing called the Council of Jerusalem. And the apostles got together, James and Paul, to discuss this very issue. And so what James is doing, he's not giving us some new teaching or contradicting Paul's teaching on faith. What he's doing is he's giving us a different perspective. Paul makes this, this is interesting because Paul makes the same argument to the church in Corinth. And what he's going to do, he's going to argue from the point of, of love. It does, and, and he's writing to a church that was very ambitious about the gifts of the Spirit. And they kind of wore their head. Look how, look how God uses us in the gifts of the Spirit. Ooh, look how, look how spiritual we are. And Paul says once again, time out on the play, flag on the play, but you're not loving each other. Kind of says the same thing, but in a different perspective. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter, right? Listen, it's not a chapter to read at a wedding. It, it fit, it'll fit. But the context... Paul squeezes this love love chapter between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 when he's talking about how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and how to correctly do it and the right motivation and the correct spirit to do it in. Listen to what he says in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, these, these, he's, not be, he's, not, he's being honest. He's not using flowery words here. He goes, if I had the gift of prophecy, and I could understand all God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, and if I had such faith that could, faith that could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, Paul and James make the same argument about balance, about the reality of your faith. Paul tells us that love for one another must be our motivation. What good is it if I have all this spiritual stuff in my life, but I don't love? It's meaningless. James is making the same argument. What good is it if you have all your doctrine correct? We'll talk about it in just a minute. And you have all your theology correct, but you have nothing to show for it. There's no good deeds to, to back it up. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect with the gospel message that should transform our heart. It should be seen in the way we live our lives for Christ. So what good is it? It would be the same it would be the same as you come to church, you sing praises to God, you learn more about God, you hug one another, you have good fellowship, right? And you're like, oh God is so good. It was such a good service. Uh, I'm just so full of God's spirit. It's so good. And then you get in your car and someone's driving slow on Ridge Road and you're mad and you're beeping your horn, tell them move over, right? It's it's like what just happened? 
What just happened? Is God truly grabbing my heart? And we've all been bad witnesses for Jesus at one time or another. Amen? We've, we've all been there. But, but James is not necessarily talking about being a bad witness. What James is talking about, James is saying, what good is it if I claim that I follow Jesus but do nothing to show for it? That's really his point. See, Paul and James make the same point. Love and good works should follow a believer in Christ. When you look behind you, what's following you? What's following you? Do you see a faith that is active? Do you see a faith that is, is, is doing good deeds, that is glorifying God? Is, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm just talking about, is, is there something different about your life that people see, that they notice? What is, what is following you? And I'm not, I'm not saying just come to church or if you read your Bible. I'm saying, what's following you? What are you doing about it? That, that's James' point. It has to be more than just lip service. Philip Melechthon was a protege to Martin Luther who started the whole Reformation. And what I love about Melechthon, he, he blended these two ideas of, of Paul and James. And this is so good. And this is what he says. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but not a faith which remains alone. See, James wanted his listeners to know how to have a living faith. Now listen, I was brought up in church. I went to Sunday school faithfully. My parents brought us to Sunday school. We had Bibles in the Sunday school classroom, right? We, we, we'd read the Bible. But it was a religious thing. It, it wasn't a transformational thing. I was, I was getting information, but that information was not transformational in my life. I'm not, I'm not putting that church down. I'm just saying that church, they did good things. It's not that they didn't do bad things. They did good things. But there wasn't this life-giving message of the gospel of transformation in our lives. So we were doing good things. But apart from a transformation of our heart that leads to a transformation of your life, that leads to obedience to Christ, that, that was all the disconnect, disconnect. And some of you may have been brought up that way. See, he's not saying that works save you. He's saying that your works prove what Christ has done in your heart. There should be evidence. Your, your living faith is moved by love for one another. You are touched by those who are struggling and in need. Sam Alberry says, true faith can be seen. Counterfeit faith is invisible. Alberry gives some good insight here on verse 19. And listen to what James says here. This, this, is, this is ouch. This is an ouchy moment. Listen to what he says. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Once again, goody, goody gumdrops for you. Okay. What does he say next? Even the demons believe that. What? Now, what, what, is, what is James quoting there? He's quoting the Shema prayer in Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, this is the crux of the Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They would pray that every single day. This is the Shema 
prayer. The Lord is one. This is the cornerstone. James points out the cornerstone of this biblical understanding of God. What is James saying there? He's saying, James says, good. You know your doctrine and you even pray that every single day because the word Shema means to listen. It means to hear. And if you read that in Deuteronomy 6, it means this, hear to the point where it gets driven into your heart. That you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What good is it to pray this prayer religiously and not have it affect your heart? Not change anything. Hear. Listen. Let it change you. So James points out the cornerstone of their biblical understanding of God. They got it. James says, good, you know your doctrine, but you can't say that's it. In fact, Albury goes on to say this, affirmation of Christian truth, however central and orthodox that truth may be, is not enough. It means nothing. To anyone who are tempted to reduce genuine Christianity to saying the right things, James points to an uncomfortable yet undeniable truth that demons believe that. Got real quiet in here. Ouch. The demons have sound doctrine. Hell is full of good theology. I told you I was going to, I told you, I just, aren't you glad you came to church today? Everybody watching online going, what is happening, pastor? What's happening? But listen, it's true. There are no atheists in the demonic realm. Think about it for a minute. Why? What does James say? James says, even demons tremble or shudder in terror of God. They believe it, but they don't follow him. They're in terror. They respect. It's, it's a, it's funny that the word shudder carries this idea of having your hair stand on end. Demons know that God is all-powerful. Even they shudder with fear at the greatness of God. See, the danger here that, that, that James is bringing out is this into only having an intellectual belief about God. There's the danger. Yes, we need sound doctrine, absolutely. But if there's no feet to your faith, it's dead. See, genuine faith must go beyond. I love what Douglas Moo says here, um, scholar. He says, genuine faith must go beyond the intellect to the will. It must affect our attitudes and actions as well as our belief. There has to be more. C.L. Min says it this way. It is a good thing to possess an accurate theology, but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology also possesses us. See, James' point is, even demons believe who God is and they shudder. They have a greater awe than some of you and they are not redeemed. So what is true faith? True faith is obedience to God. We obey because we love God. We don't serve God because we have to, but because we want to, we get to. That's true faith. It changes us. It's active. It's it's living That's a living faith. And the question is, do you have that kind of faith? That's why James is is hard here. He wants them to wake up. Don't have just this intellectual or religious faith that doesn't change you. 
that doesn't transform you. Let it be seen in how you live your life. Realizing that we don't deserve a thing from God and we're completely dependent on his grace. True belief and faith in our obedience to God. So the question is, what is the evidence of your faith? I mean, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I mean, I've heard that when I was younger. I'm like, man, that, that, that kind of sticks a little bit, right? Well, what, what, what does our faith look like? Has it changed your heart and your life? I am... Um, Right before I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 16, I have a twin sister, and she became a follower of Jesus about four months before I did. And we both went to Arundacoit High School, um, West Arundacoit High School, plus you East Arundacoit people, okay? Because we're better. No, I'm just teasing. So we're a freshman in high school, and I watched my sister really closely. I'm like, yeah, we'll see if this Jesus thing sticks. We'll see if this is just a phase. Because I'm thinking in the back of my mind, when you go to school, it's going to be a different scenario. When you have to actually live your faith out in a world that may be hostile to it. And so I watched her. And we, of course, we were in homeroom together. We were in some classes together. And I watched her in homeroom take out her Bible and, and read it. And I remember seeing other people kind of look at her like, what, what are you reading Barb, what are you reading? She goes, well, I'm reading my Bible, you know, and I'd like sink down. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Please just get me through this day. And I watched her read her Bible. Now she wasn't standing on the, on the desk preaching, hey, you know, hell is long and it's hot. Repent for the Lord thy God is near. Right? She, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't do that, but she just lived it out. I noticed it. And so we'd have these impromptu Bible studies in our home because people would ask her a question, what are you reading today, Barb? What are you reading today? And I watched her live it out. I watched her pray for people in our school. Kids that were going through divorce, they knew that they could go to Barb because Barb would listen to them and Barb would pray for them. I saw that. I would listen to my sister up in her room playing Christian music. I noticed that her posters changed from the Bay City Rollers (laughs) and Sean Cassidy to scripture verses. And I used to make fun of her. I'm not real proud of that. (laughs) But it convicted me because it was real to her. It was real. The reason why I knew it was real because she lived it in a place where it was more hostile. She lived it in school. And it was not much longer that I went to youth group for the same time. And I I became a follower of Jesus. And and my, my sister would come to me and she would tell me, Bart, I just... I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. When I was a knucklehead and would make fun of her, she just lived it. I could see it. I could see that her faith was real. It wasn't religious. It was real. Jesus did something in her heart. So I became a follower and you know, we graduated from Rondequite and um, it was our junior year and 
I remember our youth pastor challenging us to make a difference in their school. And I said, Barb, what if we started a prayer group at our school? She goes, that's a great idea. So it was me, Barb, and one other girl we made come. We said, you got to come. You just come because just we talked to a Christian teacher. She said, yeah. Um, I went to the, the principal of the school to ask if I could start a prayer group. The principal of the school happened to be my Sunday school teacher from the church I grew up in. He goes, Barton, I know you. You're a good kid. Just don't get crazy. All right? Well, it did get a little crazy because people started coming. By the end of that junior year, we had like 35 kids that would come to that classroom. Kids that would just hear about it and just say, I just need a prayer. Is it okay if I come? And I said, no, you can't come. It's only for Christians, okay? It was just great. I remember one day that the, the, the door was shut because uh, our teacher was sick, so we couldn't pray. And so I, I said, well, I guess we can't pray. And I, I had a friend, and, and he, he, he looked at me and said, no, we're going to still pray. I'm like, you know, what, what are you, crazy? We, we can't. I said, we can't pray. It's in the hallway. We'll just, just we'll do it next week. He goes, no. He encouraged me. He goes, no. Our faith is not seen in there. It's seen in the hallway. I said, you turkey. You turkey. So we prayed out in the hallway. We joined hands. And it was so funny because people are like, because it got towards where people were getting their homework and they're like, what is going, what are they doing? And you can walk back. Because I think they're praying. Are they, are they praying? They're tiptoeing around us. And I'm so thankful for my friend who encouraged me to let my faith be challenged and active. And here's what happens. When you allow yourself to be used by God, when you allow yourself to take a step of faith in, in whatever God wants you to do, it ignites something in your heart. It does. You're like, God, I never thought you could use me this way. I never thought you could do this. God says, just watch. Just avail yourself to me. I want, see, that's, James wanted their faith to be real, not something that's stagnant or benign but something that's real every single day in every circumstance that you face, that you can see God working in your life and your heart and using you to reach other people for him. And so I'm thankful for people in my life that I could look to. My parents are one of them, but I could look to and said their faith is real. Not, not perfect. Not per- We're all a mess, right? We talked about that last week. Listen to the service last week. You'll know. But a real faith, like, yeah, I struggle. I struggle with this and I need Christ's help. That's a real faith. That's an honest faith. It says, I don't have it all together. I need, I need his help. But when you allow God to use you in that way and you, you, you move yourself out of that realm, that's when it becomes real to you. What does your faith look like? Are, are you growing in compassion for others? Are, are you longing for Christ and a desiring to know him? Are you serving Christ and him and him alone? Or are you just doing it to get, to get something out of it for yourself? What, what, what does your faith look like? What, what's, what's behind you? And God says, I want to use you. Just take a step of faith. Let me use you. And I'll give you the boldness. And you watch how your faith is activated. That's the heart of James.
live it. Let it be seen in your good deeds. Let it be seen in how you care for people. Let it be seen in how you show compassion and grace for others who may not deserve it. Let it be seen in your actions and watch how God uses you. And I'm going to shut up after this last story. But I remember in our prayer group, there's a kid named Michael who came. And I remember Michael said, my parents are going through divorce. I heard about your prayer group. I just wanted to come. And I knew Michael because he was on the swim team with me. And Michael came. And we were able to lead Michael to the Lord in our prayer group on a public high school campus. I never forget that story. And God just reminds my heart all the time, Barden, don't forget, I can use any circumstance or situation. Just avail yourself to me. I'm bigger than all that stuff. Why is your faith so small? <laughs> right? And it's amazing. And that's what, that's what helped me in my formative years as a, as a Christian to see God use a knucklehead like Barton. <laughs> that's the way he works if you just allow yourself to be used by him. Amen? All right. I'm done. But I want to pray for you. For some of you that may be stagnant in your faith today, maybe some of you like, can God really use me? You avail yourself to him. Just, just take a step of faith and let him use you. And he will. So whatever your situation might be, as simple as God using you and your family, co-workers, a neighbor, just do something. You guys are the best apple pie bakers in Wayne County. Bake a pie for, I don't, whatever it is, just do something and watch how God can use it. So when you bake that, listen to me, listen to me, this is it, because after you bake me an apple pie, but once you bake that apple pie, you lay hands on that apple pie and you say, God, use this apple pie as I reach out to my neighbor, right? Amen? All right, I'll shut up. I'm done now. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, use us. James's heartbeat is a faith that's not dead, but a faith that's alive and active and breathing and vibrant. You're not looking for superstars. You're looking for people that are available to say, use me so that I may glorify you in my life. Whatever that might be, however small that might be, I give it to you. So Lord, I pray that you would, you would just increase our faith, that you would give us boldness to be used by you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Some of us here feel unworthy because of the mistakes that we made. I thank you that you're a worthy God that forgives and transforms thank you for the healing that comes through that. Thank you for the vulnerability that comes through that. So Lord, I pray that you would use us. Just use us, God. Give us the faith to believe that you are a big God. So continue to transform our hearts as we trust you and live our faith before this world. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen grateful for God's word. As we, um, as we just close in song today, I, I love this song. Make it your prayer. Just make it your prayer.
And, and do this. I love to hear your stories of what God is doing in your heart and your life. And, and you pray this week, God, just use me. And he will. And, and share your story. Please, it encourages us. Some of you do write that. You, you send them in a prayer request or a praise report or whatever of what God's doing. I love to hear those stories. I had somebody come up to me after the service, first service, and just said, Pastor, just going through the Ruta group, I thought I would never open up to other people. God's been just working on my heart, and I'm more and more open. I've been growing every week. I, I just, I go, you made my day. You just made my day. Hearing what God is doing in your heart and how he's causing you to grow in, in him and giving you the faith to speak now, to share. He goes, I got I to share my, my story, my testimony next week, and I'm really nervous. I said, the Holy Spirit's going to help you and give you strength to share it. Do it in faith. It made my day. Amen? God is good. Let's stand and let's sing this in closing day. Let's worship him and thank him for his goodness today. God bless you.